Um, okay, so uh, the first speaker of 2011 is um, uh, Benjamin Elsner, who's a, a PhD student coming near, quite close to completion PhD student in uh, in uh, Trinity College. Uh, Ben's first paper shared the uh, best paper prize in the European Economics Association last year uh, out of something like 600 applicants. So I suppose the only way is down for the uh, for the second paper. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Welcome, Ben. Thanks very much. All right. Thanks. Okay, first of all, thanks for the invitation and thanks for giving me the chance of um, talking today. So what I'm presenting today is my second PhD paper, which is work in progress. So I'm happy to get any sort of feedback, suggestions, criticism. So feel free to interrupt me at uh, any point during, during the presentation. Um, so the paper that I'm doing is entitled The Distributional Impact of Emigration the case of EU enlargement. And for those who've heard me presenting my first paper, they will probably know this is a follow-up paper of the, the, the first paper. So what's the background that I'm looking at? Um, it's EU enlargement in 2004, um, in which these eight countries here, it's a bit hard to distinguish the colors, but the countries in Central and Eastern Europe joined the European Union. And in 2004, the GDP differentials of these countries, for example, compared to the UK in purchasing power standards, were between 37 and something like 60%. And if GDP differentials are some proxy for, for wages, then we could see that there is um, huge wage differentials between East and West. And of course, when there's wage differentials, there is an incentive to migrate. But the case was that before 2004, people were only allowed to migrate to Western Europe in certain circumstances. So if they got married to someone or if they studied there and then applied for immigration, but they could not come in large numbers and just take up jobs. This whole thing changed in 2004. These countries joined the European Union and I think here in Ireland, I don't need to tell you that there was a lot of people who after 2004 went away from especially Poland and Lithuania and came to Ireland and the UK to work. So if we look at um, what happened in the two years before and after EU enlargement, just to motivate the kind of labor supply or immigration shock that happened to those four countries. So these are Latvia, Lithuania, Poland and Slovakia. Um, here on the left, these bars are almost not visible to you, um, which are the number of PPS numbers, so work permits in Ireland and the UK, that are given to nationals of these countries in the two years before EU enlargement. And then the bars on the right, the brighter ones, are the numbers of work permits that were given in the two years following EU enlargement. And we can see that in each of these four countries, um, the, the number of emigrants shot up tremendously. So we had about 500,000 people, for example, from Poland coming to Ireland and the UK. Why only Ireland and the UK? Because these, alongside with Sweden, were the only countries that opened up their labor markets for migrants to come. Germany, France, and Spain, and so on, they, they opened them up um, only after 2007. 
Right, so we can see that, that this is a considerable um, migration movement that was going on there. Um, of course, Poland's the country that lost the highest number of workers or saw the, the highest number of workers leave. But when you put the, the number of work permits that were given between 2004 and 2007 in relation to the workforce of these countries in 2003, that's what I did here just to kind of show uh, the extent of this, of this whole migration movement. Then you can see that it was actually the smaller countries, Slovakia, Lithuania and Latvia, that lost a really high share of their workforce. Now, of course, these uh, figures here include all people that got a PPS number or the UK um, equivalent, which is called a national insurance number. And so it includes everyone who came even for a summer job and those that stayed for good. But at least because double counts here are very unlikely unless someone got a work permit in both countries. Um, but at least we can see that about 9.2% of all Lithuanian workers came to one of the two countries in be between 2004 and 2007 and got a work permit. Right, so this is a, uh, a considerable um, change in, in the labor markets in these, in these countries. And so um, my uh, research question would be, well, does this change to labor markets? Because immigration is in essentially a negative labor supply shock, right? Workers move away from an economy. Does this have an influence on the wages of those that stay behind? Right? I mean, one could look at other variables as well, like employment, um, but I'm, I'm looking here at, at wages. And the question here is, um, does this emigration shock have an influence on the wage distribution in the source country? So are there workers in the source economy that gain from migration, so whose wages increase, and are there some who might lose from migration? Um, to preview the results, so I'm looking at um, Lithuania here as a case study because it was one of the three countries or one of the four countries actually that, that lost a very high share of its workers or saw a very high share of its workers leave. Um, and the, the results, just to, to, um, that you see what I'm, what I'm aiming at, is um, that young workers, so workers with a work experience, between zero and 10 years, they gain from migration. Those that are kind of in, the, in a work experience between um, 11 and 30 years, there is not much of an effect visible, whereas old workers slightly lose. So I cluster the workforce um, into so-called skill groups. Um, a skill group is defined by education and work experience. And then I get in total 12 school groups. And for each of these school groups, I want to know um, how much the wage of this particular group changed over time. Um, and this interpretation is Ceteris Paribus, so after controlling for all other factors. Now, before I get to telling you in the next half an hour how I got to these results, maybe just one quick slide why we care about that. Well, first of all, um, there is 
I mean, I've lived in Poland for a year right after EU enlargement, so 2005 and 6. So I had a lot of, uh, like, a very good impression of, of what was what was happening there, and that's actually what brought me to this research question. Um, and there was a lot of discussion going on about was it right to join the European Union, or would it have been better to to stay out? Now, of course, there's a lot more to joining the European Union than just migration, but um, there was a lot of. Um, discussion going on about uh, brain drain, we're losing our best workers and, and all such stuff. So for them, it, for these countries that joined the European Union, it's probably one piece of evidence for their evaluation of the costs and benefits of EU enlargement. But then there's also a few countries waiting in the line to, to join the European Union in the next, you know, with uh, Croatia maybe in the next five to ten years with Turkey and especially Macedonia and Serbia it could take longer but they are candidates and even in 20 years they will have still considerable wage differentials so that um, migration might be an issue there and for them it might also be important to just see okay there were other countries um, who were in the same situation 20 years ago what happened to, to the labor markets in these countries. Okay, um, the thing uh, I discovered when I started my literature review on, in the beginning of my PhD is that there is a vast literature on the economic effects of immigration, but the economic effects of emigration are far less researched. There is this um, literature that relates emigration to economic growth that is always labeled as brain drain or brain gain, so we lose our best workers and this affects growth negatively or positively, um, but there is a very uh, scarce literature on the wage effects of, of emigration, and that's where um, this paper comes in. So there's um, these three studies by, first of all, Mishra, Batista, and then a recent paper by Dokie, Oesten, and, and Perry, who look at uh, the long-run effects of emigration on, on wages. So, um, Mishra looks at Mexico over a time span of 30 years, um, Batista on, looks at Portugal um, and looks at what's contributed to the convergence in wages in Portugal towards EU level after they joined the European Union. And for example, she found that in the long run migration doesn't have a big impact. Uh, what is most important is FDI um, inflows. Um, the same on a larger scale in a, in a cross-country uh, study is what, what Doki, Oesten and Perry do. Um, but there is no study on, say, the, the short-run effect. So if we look at a country like Lithuania or like Poland, it, what happened there was the country opened up to migration and everyone left. Right? And it's not interesting for them so much to see what happens because of that 10 years or, or 20 years down the line, but it's interesting what happens in like right following on this migration shock. Now, in this first paper of mine, um, I've it looked in a very, uh, say, a crude manner with a reduced form regression on um, whether emigration had an impact on the overall wage level. Um, 
And I found, also using Lithuanian data, that, that uh, this was the case. But, of course, there's a lot of uh, problems in, in this study. I mean, I tried to address all the, the econometrics problems there, but um, with instruments and addressing energy is is a bit of an issue here. So that I said, okay, I can, first of all, do better than that, even though Liam predicted this, is, um, this will be difficult. Um, and second, I can also look not at the, the overall wage level, but more at the, the average wages of different groups of workers. Okay, so how am I going to do this? Um, so my methodology is, is the following one. I start off with a theoretical framework that is well known in the labor economics literature. And if I may just illustrate this by a graph that everyone knows from an undergrad economics textbook. Um, so the theoretical model just gives me a demand framework. So it gives me equations that determine for each group of workers a demand curve. Um, what I do then is I bring this demand framework to the data and estimate the structural parameters of this demand framework. So um, what I'm, what is most important for me is the slope coefficient of this, right? When I have the slope of the labor demand curve, I calculate from data on the number of emigration, I calculate for each group how big the supply shift was. Well, and once I have a demand curve, once I know how big the supply shift is, I can calculate the wage change, the corresponding wage change as a residual. Now, of course, here I've, I've uh, got very often the, the, the comment, well, you assume here that labor market's clear, and that's a, a fair point, and I'm still thinking about what I could introduce um, into the model that I'm about to present on the next couple of slides uh, in, in order to include um, unemployment or some, some sort of rigidity. So if anyone has a suggestion here, I'd be more than, than happy to, to uh, get this. Okay, so that's, that's the overall methodology I'm, that I'm using. Um, what are the advantages of this approach? even without showing it to you right now, it's, well, it has a theoretical foundation and as such the, 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 the interpretation of the parameters is clear. I mean, we can then, of course, discuss is the model appropriate or not, but, I mean, once we're in this model world, um, it has a clear interpretation of, of all the structural parameters and the wage changes and so on. Um, plus, it's empirically tractable, so I'm actually able to bring this model to the data. And because it's at the end of the day a simulation exercise, it helps to overcome econometric problems like omitted variable bias or like endogeneity that I would, that I would inevitably have in a reduced form regression, right? If I regress wages on, on um, labor, it could be a demand curve, it could be a supply curve, and it's hard to, to identify which, which one it is, right? So, um, and especially when looking at EU enlargement, I mean, this was a big shock to the economies of the countries I'm looking at. So when you think about trade integration, when you think about EU structural funds or FDI inflows, uh, these are all sort of factors that would influence labor demand 
but that in a reduced form are hard to control for, right? I mean, if I have individual level data, how do I want to control how um, FDI inflows to Ireland influence my wage? I don't know. So, and this model helps to overcome these problems. So what's, what's the model? It's um, one that, that is um, frequently used in the study, in numerous uh, studies and, and numerous questions in the literature. So um, probably the most prominent application is the one by Borges, who looks at the um, impact of immigration on the wages in the United States between, I think, 1960 and 1990. Um, and these two papers by Ottaviano and Perry, who, who do a, a similar um, thing. The idea is that workers who have the same observable characteristics, the ones that I've shown you in the very beginning, so workers who have the same education and are in the same group of work experience, they compete in the same labor market. And then this model gives me, I have 12 skill groups, so it gives me 12 different labor markets, but they are all interrelated. Right? So if a lot of workers from a different experience group or a different education group emigrate, this also affects my wage. Not only if workers from my um, school group emigrate. Um, it, the model allows for different degrees of substitutability, which is important. I mean, workers are not perfect substitutes, right? So, um, I don't know, I'm, me and Martin are probably closer substitutes than, than uh, me and Liam. So, and the model accounts at least to a certain extent for, for these different degrees of substitutability across school groups. And ultimately it gives me an, an equation, an estimating equation that allows me to identify the structural parameters that, I, that I'm interested in, which is the slope of the labor demand curves. Um, okay, so before I throw a few equations on you, maybe just um, to, to get a bit the intuition, what do I mean by labor markets are interrelated? Um, the thing is, if so the, the whole model is based on a nested CES production function, and of course, when workers are paid their marginal product, the marginal product which equals their wage, depends on the labor inputs of all other workers, right? Or of all other um, skill groups. So if we have two skill groups that are, um, that are substitutes, what happens there? So suppose um, group one is, so we have two groups of workers with a third level degree, but group one has um, zero to, to 10 years of work experience and group two has more work experience. Right? Um, suppose in group one there is a, an emigration shock happening, so a lot of young workers emigrate, and that's exactly what happened in, um, in, in Lithuania in that, that period in time. Um, the labor supply sh uh, curve shifts to the left, and what we know from basic microeconomic theory, um, those workers that stay behind in this group become a more scarce resource, which will drive their wages up. Right? That's the kind of the first order effect. That's a supply effect. But through labor demand, it also has an effect on the group that is a substitute because 
Um, I mean, workers from group one can possibly be replaced by workers from group two. That could be one explanation. Um, overall, they're substitutes, so the labor demand curve of group two will shift upward and their wages will increase. The exact opposite case is um, when we have um, workers, groups of workers that are complements, like, I don't know, there's usually this, this uh, example of, I don't know, an, an engineer and, and, and cleaning staff. So if we have, if engineers emigrate, then there's also less demand for cleaning staff. And, and that's uh, what, what explains, for example, why um, if we have emigration in this one group, the, the group, the wages of group one will increase, whereas the wages of group two will decrease. Right? So that's just to illustrate the mechanics of, of this model. Of course, there are, there's a number of feedback effects that I haven't shown here, but um, that's, the, uh, that's the, the core of this, of this model. And then what causes the wages of young workers to increase in total, whereas the wages of old workers decrease? Well, as I've illustrated, there's, um, for each group, there is a supply effect Namely, workers from group A emigrate. This has an impact on the wages of group A. That's the supply effect. Plus, there's a whole number of demand effects there because other workers emigrate. And of course, if people leave the economy, we can produce less. And this leads to a labor demand shift for every group. And then when we look at the, the migration movements that happened from east to west after 2004, um, the, then most workers that came to Ireland and the UK were young so that their labor supply shift is large whereas for old workers it's really small and for young workers it's out so that the, the, the labor supply shift that causes their wages to increase outweighs the demand shift that, that would cause their wages to decrease and for old workers it's exactly the opposite Right, um, and that's where where the results um, come from ultimately. Now, um, just to get fairly quickly through through the model. Um, so, as I said, it's built um, upon a nested CS production function. So we have three building blocks here. That so we have an aggregate output that is produced using capital and labor, but as I said, uh, if I only had one labor input, this would imply that all workers are perfect substitutes, which is not the case. So that's why labor is split up in three education groups. So it's um, lower secondary education, upper secondary education, and third level degree. And each of these, well, any two of these education groups are not perfect substitutes again. But there is this parameter sigma et that is the elasticity of substitution between any two groups. And if this value is very high, we would say that they are close substitutes. So it's easy to replace one worker from one group with another worker from another group. If the value is low, um, this means it's difficult to, um, to substitute one worker for another. That's, that was the second building block. And then again, each education group is not a homogeneous labor input because 
workers who differ in their experience might have different human capital and are simply not perfect substitutes, right? So um, that's why each education group is again split up into four work experience groups. So work experience is defined in groups of 0 to 10 years, 11 to 20 years, 21 to 30 years, and 31 plus years of work experience. And again, sigma x, this parameter, will define the, or is the elasticity of substitution between any two experience groups. Right? And so like this, I have at least some um, I allow at least for some imperfect substitutability between different groups of workers. Well, I mean, in the ideal case, I would want to have a different degree of substitutability between each of these um, skill groups that I have, but that would, with no data in the world, you can estimate these parameters. And, I mean, it's, it's maybe a bit abstract to talk of elasticities of substitution, but they are directly related to the slope coefficients of the labor demand. So minus one over this parameter sigma x, and the same for sigma ed, is exactly the slope of the labor demand, and that's what, I, that's what I need to estimate. So for those who like equations, that's what the model looks like. Yes, Mark? Actually, th that's, I mean, that's, that's maybe just to emphasize this point. It's not, this is not, say, uh, the, the outcome of, of the model that this demand shift is actually bigger than that. You'll see that in the, in the numbers that I, so in, in the simulation results that I generate later. This is just to, to, to make the point. Actually, the demand shift is almost the same for, for all workers, right? There is slight differences because when workers from one education group um, emigrate, then, and the, well, how should I explain that? Um, if workers have the same education but differ in their work experience, then there is the substitution effect and that creates different, um, uh, slightly different labor demand shifts for all groups of workers, but it's, it's not, um, but you're right. I mean, they, they are, say, they should be almost the same, right? But, okay, so again, this is the, the, the aggregate production function um, in equations. So we have these three building blocks that I just explained using this, this, this illustration here. Um, and what I need to estimate or determine for my um, exercise are these two parameters, sigma x and sigma ed, which are related to the slope coefficients of the, or from which I can get the slope of the labor demand curve. So how do I do that? Now here, um, I've jumped through um, quite some derivations that are in the paper if everyone, if anyone is interested in them. You just have to believe this um, for, for now that from the, this nested production function when I say, okay, workers are paid their marginal product, um, I take logs and um, I can absorb certain coefficients by using time dummies. Um, 
time, an interaction of time and education and an interaction of education and experience. Um, that is all just generated out of this, out of this model. Um, if someone is interested, I also have it as a backup slide, so, so, but it's, it's more a technical, technical issue. But what does this give to me? Well, it relates um, wages per skill group to labor inputs per skill group. Sigma X is positive, so this coefficient is negative, so it's exactly a labor demand curve. The problem here is that if I want to estimate the demand curve, I need an exogenous supply shifter that does not shift demand per skill group, but that shifts labor supply, right? So I mean, I need some, some shifter here if I have a demand curve that allows me to back out the slope coefficient, which is exactly this. Um, so an instrument is needed for, uh, for labor supply that is not correlated with demand, but that's not exactly true. It can be correlated with demand as long as it's absorbed by these three dummies and vectors of dummies and interaction terms. So as long as it's a demand shift that is the same for all workers, no matter what skill group they have, it will be absorbed by these dummies here. Um, as long as it's a different shift for each education group over time, it would be absorbed by this um, interaction of education group and time dummies. Um, the only thing that, uh, so the only direction across which a demand shift is possible but that I can't account for is when it, when demand would shift differently across age groups over time or across experience groups. But that's again excluded in the model. So that's essentially the model gives me also my exclusion rest restriction here. Um, plus, so and that's, these are the instruments I propose, plus we have here a quasi-natural experiment. People were allowed to migrate before 2004. We were not allowed to migrate before 2004. They could migrate afterwards. So we can see this as an exogenous shock which adds to, to, to the argument of the following instruments. The first one that I propose, um, even though this might sound outrageous to, to propose this, is emigration from Lithuania. I mean, no doubt this is a supply shifter, but what about a shift in labor demand? Well, the thing is that all demand shifts, when we look at, at the model, all demand shifts that emigration per skill group could produce would be exactly absorbed by those two terms. And as such, it's, it's valid as an instrument. But then for, for those um, who, who still had, had some, some doubts about this, what I did was um, I used um, Polish emigration as an, an instrument for Lithuanian labor supply because the correlation of emigration that happened from Poland with the one that happened from Lithuania was surprisingly high. So the number, so the skill distribution of migrants that went away from Poland, which is a lot bigger than Lithuania and has a very different economic structure, was highly correlated with, or was almost the same as the skill distribution of Lithuanian migrants. 
Um, and as we will see later, the, the results don't uh, differ a lot between these two, uh, these two instruments that I used. So the, the assumption is then that the man shots are not correlated between Poland and Lithuania? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is that likely? Um, well, again, demand shocks that are not already captured in, the, in these two terms, right? So it would be only demand shocks um, over time across different experience groups. And that's in the first place excluded by the model, right? So, the, so if workers from group A emigrate, this affects workers from all other groups only on higher nests of, these, of this production function. So this affects then um, workers with a different education um, and would affect all workers at the same time through um, a downward shift of demand because we produce less, right? But, but um, supply changes... There could be demand shocks that are completely outside the model. Okay, that that could be that that um, that could be a reason, yes. But still, if that is, then um, this would not invalidate the first instrument, that is immigration uh, immigration from Lithuania. I mean, it, it, it sounds better because it's something that is, you know, detached from, from the Lithuanian economy, right? To the extent that two economies are detached. Yeah, it, yeah, okay. So, um, okay, I'll, I'll look into to that. How It would be nice if they had very different industrial structures. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay, yeah, no, that's a good point. I haven't, haven't really uh, looked into that, thanks. Okay. Then the data I'm using um, is, comes from well, multiple sources, but there's essentially two groups of data sources. One is data on the Lithuanian labor market, and one is data on the emigrants. Now, the, the, uh, the, the complicated thing here was, how do I get data on emigrants? Because if I get a microdata set from Lithuania or from Poland or from any country in this world, the numbers of emigrants that I could infer from this are just very, say, you, you couldn't really rely on them. Because, I mean, most, most data sets don't even uh, track emigrants, so they're just not there because they live somewhere else. Um, or it, then when you compare the numbers of work permits that, for example, Polish workers got in Ireland with the number of, of workers that uh, the Polish Statistical Office reports as, as, as emigrated, then there is a huge discrepancy. So what I did here is, I mean, it's, it's kind of clear because um, countries simply don't record the number of emigrants and um, for most, and, and especially not by age and, 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 and education. 
right? So, but what's the beauty here is that um, workers were only allowed to move to Ireland and the UK and Sweden, but they didn't go there. I mean, if you look at the Swedish uh, census and, and work permit data, there's hardly any, any people going from, from Eastern Europe to, to Sweden. So I can look at data from Ireland and from the UK and see how many workers from Lithuania, in my case, came over this period in time. And then I have the number of emigrants um, that I need. Right? The other data set is the one on the, uh, on the Lithuanian labor market, uh, for which I have uh, four survey rounds of a household budget survey, which gives me a pooled cross-sectional data set of um, 10,000 observations and from these I calculate average wages and labor inputs per skill group. So I have to aggregate to a pretty high level so don't be shocked when the number of observations now is, is low with, with 48. Right? Because we have four survey rounds and 12 experience groups that gives me exactly 48 observations. And then when um, when it comes to, to the instruments, I mean, the, the, the correlation here is below the magic threshold of, of 10, but it's still not very far, very far out there, right? And um, when we look at OLS results, the, it's insignificant statistically, and the interpretation would then be that any like workers with any work experience would be perfect substitutes, which is not very plausible. But then when we use the instruments, we get um, statistically significant results. And when we look at the point estimates that these, well, when we look at the, the sigma x, my slope coefficient, or my elasticity of substitution, that these coefficients would imply, well, it's between 1.3 and 1.5, that is lower than, for example, in similar studies about the US, but it would just mean that workers of different groups are less substitutable in Lithuania than in the US. Um, there could be good arguments why this is the case, because we have here two very different generations in my sample. So the older generation learned their skills during socialism, and their skills are a lot less readily applicable to a market economy than the ones of the younger generation who um, should have learned their skills during a market economy. So I'm, I'm uh, quite confident that it's plausible that these values are um, lower than, for example, for the US. Now, this was one structural parameter. What about the second one, uh, sigma ed? The model, so sigma ed, is the elasticity of substitution between any two education groups. The model would imply this estimating equation in order to consistently estimate um, this coefficient here, right? Minus one over sigma ed. The problem is I only have, if I aggregate further up, I only have 12 observations, so three education groups over four years, and I would have to estimate 10 coefficients, right? If you add up the number of dummies and interaction terms, you come to 10. So it's simply not possible to, to, um, to estimate this, this coefficient from the data I have. And it's also, uh, there's like, I would have to, have a lot of survey rounds 
to to come up with a, a certain number of, of of observations that would enable me to 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 estimate this coefficient. But at the end of the day, it's a it's a simulation exercise, so if I can find a sensible value for, for sigma at and then run robustness checks, um, that's uh, the, the best I can do so far. And what do I do? Well, I impose a restriction here. So the restriction is the following, that sigma at, the elasticity of substitution between any two education groups, is less in value than the elasticity of substitution between workers who have the same education but different work experience. Right? So this means that um, it's harder to replace, uh, essentially, on average, it's harder to replace an engineer with a cleaning lady than it is to replace um, an engineer who has 10 years of work experience with one who has 30 years of work experience. Right? That's, that's uh, the, the intuition, or that's an example for, for this uh, restriction. And then, of course, because I, I choose these, these values um, and I don't estimate them, well, even if I estimated them, I would check the robustness of, of the results um, given uh, changes in these parameters. Okay, um, from the Irish data and the UK data, I calculate um, the labor supply shift or the number of emigrants per skill group, but how do I do that? So it's, it's not, uh, I mean, even though I said, well, you just need to look at Irish and UK data in order to get the number of emigrants, um, it's not as easy. Because the only um, very reliable source I have is the Irish census in 2006 and the Irish census in 2002 because these two sources give me a skill distribution of, of emigrants um, or of Lithuanians in, in those years and my labor supply shift would be then just the difference of the number of workers of a given skill group in 2006 and the same skill group in 2002. So, but of course, um, the, there's also a lot of workers who did not go to Ireland but to the UK. So this, it's about 30% uh, more workers that went to the UK than to Ireland. And what I do here is in, in my baseline scenario that I assume that the skill distribution of immigrants in both countries is the same. Now, this sounds a bit, a, a bit vague or, or, or questionable, but when you look at um, the studies that Alan Barrett did about um, migrants from the new member states in Ireland and compare them to the ones that Christian Dustman did on, um, on the UK, then, then you see that in the, in the education distribution there is not, not much of a difference, right? Plus, I can always run a robustness check and only use Irish data which would give me a lower bound because, I mean, that's the number of emigrants that I definitely know went away from Lithuania are the ones that were there in 2006 minus the numbers of emigrants that were there in 2002 in Ireland because that's what I have from, from, from the census, right? And so by assuming the skill distribution is the same, I just essentially inflate the number of immigrants in Ireland by the number of work permits in the UK over the number of work permits in Ireland. So typically this, this value would be something like uh, 1.3, which would mean that 30% more 
migrants came to Ireland, uh, to the UK, then to Ireland. So that the overall factor here would be 2.3, right? One for Ireland and 1.3 for the UK. And then as a robustness check, I get rid of these two terms here. Okay, um, here the simulation equation that comes from the model again um, looks more scary than it actually is. Um, what's interesting about it is, okay, this is the wage change um, in percent for a given skill group and it's related, first of all, to the wage, ch uh, to the change in labor supply of this skill group. So if people, workers emigrate this from group IJ, this affects the wages of group IJ and the extent to which it affects the wages is minus one over sigma x. So that's the supply effect. Plus on higher nests of my production function, there would be other effects going on. For example, um, if we look at group IJ, so say these are third level workers with a certain work experience um, and there's other workers from the same education group emigrating, then this would also affect the wages of group IJ. And the same goes on at the very highest nest of, of this production function. So um, essentially this, this tells you that, well, the, the um, there is not only a change in wages because people from my group emigrate, but there's also changes in, in wages going on because people from, from other groups migrate. And as I'm interested in a short-run effect, I assume that capital adjustment to, to these changes in labor supply is zero. Um, I, I will definitely run a robustness check where I relax this constraint, but um, at the moment um, that's, the, that's the situation uh, that I'm looking at. And then what are the results that, that I find um, that come out of this, this exercise? Um, so here we have the three education groups, lower secondary, upper secondary education, and a third level degree. And then on um, the vertical axis, we have the wage changes in percent. And on the horizontal axis, we have the four experience groups, zero to 10 years, 11 to 20 years, and so on and so forth. And what we can see after doing this simulation exercise is that no matter what the education is, the, the wage changes for young workers are very high. For those in the regions between 11 years of work experience and 30 years are, well, in the case of lower secondary education, between 1 and 2%. And um, for then for older workers, we see that there is a slight wage decrease, right? That's uh, given this parameterization and then I run robustness checks and see how much these, these results change. And well, if, if you make these values uh, greater of, of these two coefficients, then of course the wage uh, effects are smaller um, and the other way around, but the, say uh, qualitatively the, 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 the the pattern that emerges here doesn't uh, change no matter what coefficients I use here. Um, so where do these wage effects then come from? Um, or how can I decompose them? As, as I said, there's the first order effect is a supply effect. So workers from my group emigrate, that affects my wage. But of course, that affects also wages of all other workers through labor demand. 
Now, um, this is the total wage change per, um, per skill group that I found, and it can be decomposed into four effects. And this is just to illustrate how big the, 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 the particular effect is. So the first order effect, workers from group A emigrate, the resulting change in the, the wage for, um, for group A is in this, um, in this column which, where, from which we can clearly see, well, the effect is very large for young workers and very small for old workers, which is not surprising because there's not many old workers that emigrate. Um, then we have effects two and three, which uh, is, well, effect two is how does the, um, how does emigration of someone in the same education but in a different experience groups, group um, affect wages. And this is how does the emigration of people um, who have a different education affect the, the wages of a certain group of workers. And we can see that these effects are relatively small. But then we have also, because workers leave the economy, we can produce less. So this shifts the labor demand curve down for all workers, and that relates to the question that Mark asked before. Well, this shift is the same, and in, in my case, it would decrease the wages on average by about 4%. And when you add all these effects up, you come to, to the pattern that I've just shown. Now, what are the robustness checks that I'm doing so far? Um, it's first of all that I'm using Irish data. Last slide. Um, that I'm using Irish data only, so because I made this assumption about the skill distribution being the same in both countries, so um, just to, to relax this assumption and see what happens, and I can see that the results are robust. The same goes for a variation of these two parameters, um, and then I take the same parameters that were estimated for studies that dealt with other countries, for example, the US and Germany, and I also see that, that qualitatively um, the results are robust. Of course, if the parameter values are others, the, the, the level of the wage changes is different, but the sign um, prevails. So that's so far the study. And as I said, I'd be um, very happy to get any questions, suggestions, criticisms. Thank you. Oh, well. Have you adjusted for the impact of uh, immigration into Poland into Lithuania? There was an influx of immigrants from Belarus to Lithuania. Yeah. And uh, from Ukraine to Poland. And it uh, must have affected uh, wages. Um, I have not directly accounted for it because uh, when you look at the, the number of, of people, because I mean, the, from the Lithuanian data, I'd say that the number of, of workers that we can get uh, that, that come from, from further east um, is fairly reliable, right? Because they all need a work permit and like this, they're registered in the statistics. And when you compare the number of people who came with the number of people that went away, it's like there's a huge discrepancy. So it, 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 the, the factor is, I would guess, something like five or six times more people went away than what came. 
And so this would affect then the size of the labor supply shift. Um, but here I'm doing this robustness check of, of, of using Irish data only, which is simply a, a very, very conservative assumption. I mean, I could try and, 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 uh, and run a robustness check um, accounting for this. It's definitely a, a, a reasonable point, yeah. Mm -hmm. it, might, it might be as well that the difference in wages was not not caused by migration or immigration, but by other factors like I don't know inflation or whatever. Well, these okay, okay. These are real wages, first of all. So inflation does not Sorry. does not play a role. Um, what about the other factors? Well, that's the, the good thing of, of this model is that I just um, make essentially a picture of the Lithuanian labor market and then throw in this shock, right? So that I don't need to, to look at capital flows and, and anything else that came in because I'm just not simulating a shock of, of say, FDI inflows. I'm just simulating the emigration shock, right? And so, um, because I have, uh, say, consistent and, 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 and reliable estimates, hopefully, of the labor demand curve, I'm just looking at how far we move up the labor demand curve. And any other factor would shift the labor demand curve up and down, right? The FDI or trade or, or anything. But I'm only looking at if you have a labor demand curve on, on how much we move up, not how much it shifts. And uh, not not here, but but um, I I can just if we go just back to the uh, table of, of skill groups here, um, I sh I should have shown it. Sorry, but essentially this skill, this uh, picture, if you um, don't think about wage changes but about migration numbers, um, you can that's that's about the the pattern here. So you had in total about 150,000 people that went away from Lithuania in these two, three years after EU enlargement. So this is about 9% of, of the workforce. Most of them were in an age group between zero and 10 years. And also, and that's not, not shown here, and, and you're right, I mean, I should, uh, should show this just to, to, to familiarize people with what, what's actually happening. Uh, most of them had a, a, an education that's somewhere in the middle, so like a high school degree or something like this, but not a university degree, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. You think that it's the, I'm thinking again about the instrument, and um, would an alternative instrument be to just use the cohort sizes? So say. addressing W on L, or L presumably is the number of people actually working. Yes, yes. Which of course is endogenous because people might choose not to. Yeah. But you could just predict that how many people are in that age education group or should be in that age education group. 
Okay, how would I do that? Just take the you say. Know the cohort sizes, you know, yeah, mean, yeah. People don't change, change their education in the short term. So I could take, say, the cohort size of of uh, of 2002 per worker or per, per skill group, and then then. I, use I, mean, I think you should be able to figure out that if nobody ever left the country or came into the country, how many people of a certain age with a certain education level should be in Lithuanian Okay. And that is, should be a valid instrument because I don't see how it could be correlated with demand shock of any kind. Yes. Um, so that would be an alternative instrument. The, the other concern I have with this instrument is presumably there's selection in terms of who leaves and stays. Mm-hmm. And you're looking at the wages of people left behind. Mm-hmm. So, so those wages could be influenced by whether sort of the lemons who are left or the good ones who are left. Okay, okay. So if the group has a high emigration rate, that could leave a very selective set of people who are left behind. Yes. If the good ones leave, it's a lower bound, and lower. yeah, yeah, that that is true. the The thing is, okay, yeah, I have, I, I mean, definitely, definitely a good point. But uh, coming back to the instrument, would you know any study that used a similar instrument or coincides as well? Could, could be. Could be. Uh, no, I mean, not sure. That's a try. Okay. Yeah, there is this uh, core science component in terms of, but right, there is no based on birth, birth rate shocks and things like that. Uh huh. Um, yeah, here you 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 will just get movement because, um, yeah, as I say, certain cores are bigger than others, but also and people will shift between these age groups, and so that these the size of these age groups will change over mm -hmm. time. Yeah, even though the, the, the time frame we're looking at here is, is five years essentially, so um, that the edu educational structure changes is probably fairly unlikely. But, but it just seems you can get rid of all the demand effects on labor supply by just taking the people who should be in the country as your measure, as your instrument for yeah. labor. Okay, very good. Okay, so uh, Ben, you're going to be around uh, if people want to talk uh, sure. further. So, uh, I think that would be a really important way to Uh-huh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I have a meeting and I have to go to just the other side of the campus, so I'm going to, I'm going to shoot off, unfortunately. Okay. Yeah, let's. I uh, yeah. hope we can meet for a coffee or something. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. I'm sure there's no yeah. lack of coffee in, in, in UCD. <laughs> If you copy the paper, do you want me to distribute a copy of the paper? Or um, or I've sent it to Philippa. Oh, but oh, I'll, I'll send it around. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy, happy to, to disseminate it. I'll send you a brief note of that cohort size literature. It'll be probably the weekend. Um, uh, I've come across myself a couple of times for various projects. The basically, the idea is the lagged various races, um, exogenous to to yes. demand conditions. Yes. So you, you can kind of use it as a proxy for... That's um, actually a really good idea because I then I would... Down and then you're 17 years later, you're part of the cohort that's coming into the market. 
with a you know competing against various people mm. as technology is kind of you know grow, grown at a, at yeah. a constant rate. You can you can separate them out so that basically it's just demand the, the labor supply um, labor supply is just just basically shifts um, no it doesn't shift sorry it just I, I think you just move along your uh, my demand curve yeah that's yeah, what yeah. I'm that's what I'm I'm doing but I'm I'm thinking yeah. I mean, this would definitely shift. Yeah, the question is, if not, then just labor supply would be, if I'm looking only at a time span of five years, if labor supply would not be the same. So if it would vary enough to, but that's worth a try. I think some of the econometric tricks in that literature might be interesting to see how they, how they, how they, they're doing something equivalent to the they're just looking at changes in the actual population of the mm. country and scale composition mm -hmm. and to trace out different curves. But I'll, 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 I'll that but, um, it's a nice, it definitely the, the simulations look uh, very interesting. The, 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 the instrument, I mean, your issue, I suppose, is the small size, sample size, but like. Yeah, because there it's, it's with, with when you have such a level of aggregation, it's yeah. hard to to expand the sample into either uh, either side. So because the, along the time they mention it's 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 an issue of getting the data, and yeah. along the the say education group dimension, there's just a natural number of education yeah. groups. Like you, you can maybe find four or five, but that's about it. So there's not much that you can do there. Well, that, that's where a lot of discussion I think will come from they look kind of, I mean, they're consistent with your story, but they're potentially consistent with some sort of a um, kind of a first stage view correlated with Y kind of uh, thing, that, that, that particularly that type of aggregated sample might, might get magnified, but, but that's... Yeah, I mean, that, but that's, that's what I'm, what I'm going to deal with. I mean, I'm yeah. going to present it now in... Uh, I'm actually going to Latvia to present this paper, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and I'm going to present it somewhere in Germany in a labor economics uh, workshop, and I'm pretty sure you know there I can get different views than in yeah, communism. But I mean, you, you stick to your guns on that. I mean, these are your experts putting forward an empirical strategy, but it wasn't for him. But no, it's very nice. It builds very nicely on the first paper as well. Um, yeah.